Hey everybody, welcome to episode 54 of the Snake in the Draft podcast. In this episode, I have Kane Fossil coming on the podcast. You should be following him on Twitter at Devi underscore Kane. He is the host of the Devi Diet and Devi Marketplace podcast. Today, we're going to continue the series of going over the 2021 rookie class outlook and how we can work on our player evaluations of rookies. So welcome, Kane. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. Yeah, we were just talking before how you've had yourself a day today, and I had myself a couple of days before, and uh, I'm just honestly happy to get on a podcast and just chat it up for a little bit. Yeah, it'll be nice to not be talking about, you know, my normal work. Um, yeah. It seems to just be, you know, I, I just... I just put out a tweet and I've been talking to people about this. It just feels like I've been two days behind just in life, but for six months, like <laughs> I've just been two days behind, like for a while, like, gotcha. I'm, I'm just hoping man that like with the off season, at least in, in fantasy that I might be able to like finally feel like I'm catching up, but you know, probably not. Cause this is the busiest time of the year for me, <laughs> which somehow, right. It's supposed to be the off season. And, and for us, Debbie guys, this is, the busiest time because we've seen all these prospects all year and and that's now what people want to talk about so it's really exciting and um, that we get to talk about them constantly and um I, i'm a rambler so just get ready baby um <laughs> I'm, I'm drink i'm drinking some cider and we're just gonna see where the night oh. takes us what what kind of cider do you drink what brand i'm currently drinking loon juice oh i haven't heard um, of them okay so it, it's a minnesota based cider gotcha um, because I've had like Austin East Ciders and from Austin, Texas. That's that's where I'm from. So that's what I've had before. And uh, I'm a cider cider dude as well. I don't know if you prefer cider over beer, but I strongly prefer cider over beer. Um, it, it depends what I'm doing, right? Like if I'm just like being sociable and like not really, you know, drinking to have one too many, then yeah. I'd probably cider. But like, you know, if you're having a few of them, like the cider kind of adds up in your stomach and really makes you feel worse in the morning, even though you didn't drink as much. Right. So um, yeah. probably my favorite is uh, I think it's Blake's hard okay. cider in Michigan. Um, they just have some great stuff. Also their main cider is called flannel mouth. So like that just speaks right to my soul. Uh, <laughs> so, so that one kind of gets me, but no, I think cider because also I love sweet things. Yep, same. Right, and not bitter things. So like, I'll, I don't drink IPAs because it's too bitter. I can't like handle it. It's the same reason why I don't drink coffee. Um, mm. That so I I do. Uh, I always say I'm having my milk with a side of coffee, even though it's about two thirds coffee, one third milk. But I'm definitely always. I actually do oat milk. Uh, I know I'm sounding like a hippie from Austin right now with my cider and my oat milk and stuff like that. But man, it's it's so much more enjoyable than just black coffee for me. Way more. I don't. I don't drink milk. So okay. Yeah, any I'm type. I'm intolerant. What about what about oat milk? Have you tried that ever? So the only milk I have is Fairlife milk. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it's you know it's mostly like milk. Yep. Um, it's just nice that it's just less sugar and obviously the lactase isn't in it, so it doesn't hurt my stomach. Um, yep. But then I work for a company that creates ice cream and pizza. So here I am and I end up eating all that stuff anyway. So I just ate half a pint of ice cream last night and I'm still feeling the effects of it um, today. So it's, you know, I'm not going to be able to stop. So maybe I should just go to milk. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think if you could do little changes here and there, that's always, it's been nice for me to switch the milk. Cause I'm also like, I don't, I don't know if I'm fully lactose intolerant, but if I have too much milk and cheese and the lactose products, then 
it definitely messes me over. But before we ramble on about cider and foods <laughs> and stuff, I do have a question I ask every guest coming on the podcast. What is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? Um, so I love, so this, this actually makes sense, right? So I was a former English teacher, so I love reading. Um, I don't do it enough as much as I'd like to, right? Um, so reading, I think is, is like far up my list. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those like nutters that enjoys reading historical fiction. I, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I love conspiracy theories. So like anytime you can like talk about conspiracy theories, it like, that gets me like that's that's my stuff so um yeah i like that also like i'm a big fan of board games gotcha um, any kind of board games right and we it can be just as simple as like playing uno or playing cribbage or like you know all the way up through like playing dungeons and dragons and like all of that stuff like that is that's what i enjoy doing so like for for christmas my wife and i ended up getting like five or six board games as presents because that that's what we do. We just love playing board games. Um, so it's, it's really nice that, that we're able to get all those. So it'll be exciting to uh, finally crack them open. Have you heard of a board game called Darwin's choice? Have you heard of I that game? Not. It's a, it's an interesting one where like you create creatures and they're supposed to be like adapted to environments and the environments change and the creatures die off or they can eat each other. It, it's hmm. one uh, it's, it was on uh some crowd source, source sourcing uh, site, and then it, it's like very niche. But found that one fun. I'm guessing you played like Settlers of Catan and all those games as well. Yeah. I, so this is how nerdy I am. At one point, I was ranked seventh in the world at Settlers of Catan online. Wow, that's um, impressive. So that like I, I play a lot of Settlers of Catan. Um, so. Yeah, I actually, I had never bought it for myself, though, because I knew that, like, if I bought it, that's all I would ever want to play. So then my aunt just bought me Settlers of Catan, which, like, I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or not, but, like, (laughs) it'll it'll be interesting for sure. Um, I haven't played it in a few years at this point. Nice. Yeah, I've always enjoyed that. And then even, like, more chill games, like Ticket to Ride. I don't know if you played that one. Yeah, we have that one. That's pretty fun. Um, Yeah. You know, we just got um the haunting at the house on the hill okay i haven't heard of that one the board game i, I think that's what it's called i'm terrible with names i was a it, teacher it may so. be like haunting on hill house that may be what it is yeah that works I, i'm not sure i know that's a that's a show on netflix that i don't know if it's a board game off of that but gotcha yeah, yeah I, we then, can talk about board just, games all day <laughs> yeah we just we just got a ton of them so it it's really nice right especially when all of our friends um, get back together obviously not now but um, you know when we normally get together like it's it's not like about drinking right it's literally about playing board games we're here to play board games and that's what we're gonna do yeah um, it's like, like we that. get some some intense cranium nights like <laughs> i sound like such a nerd right now and it's like Ugh. and then when i'm not doing that i just watch film of college football players like woo. <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm I'm with you in liking some board games and such. So speaking of that film of college football players, my first question is how do you evaluate players? So you mentioned film. Do you ever do a combination of analytics and film? Or are you very much on the film side for these college athletes? I do nothing with analytics. Um I, I just focus on film. Um, you know, and I, you get into a lot of 
um, not really arguments, but right discussions with analytics people of of why right I prefer film to analytics, and I think the the biggest thing that I don't think you can just get from film either, but it it comes from just knowledge of football and just knowledge of the teams, and that's context, right? Like I you can have the most wonderful game, and Devonta Smith can go for. 12 catches for 380 yards and four touchdowns against Southeast North directional Utah. Right. And like, just absolutely kill them. Right. And and that's wonderful. And you should, right. Like good players should always beat up on poor teams, but having the context of that, it's like, sure. It's great that he beat up on a poor team, but that doesn't mean anything because he should do it. So why are we, why are you trying to include these things? Like, that don't really matter, right? Like, sure, if if you think it correlates to hit rates on, on certain things, like, okay, but, like, you should be doing that, right? And I think the biggest context that we get in some players is, like, when they're on good teams is, are they even playing in the fourth quarter, right? Because then that skews the analytics a little bit. Like, if we look at what T. Higgins did last year or what tree. I think Travis Etienne's probably the best, um, the best piece is that he, Travis Etienne only had seven touches in the fourth quarter before the conference championship game last season. And like was still putting up stats that would rival any other running back going into the draft. Right. So I think that's one of the differences for me is that um, when we're looking at just this whole process, it's like you ne- kind of need the context to go along with it. And if you're l- just looking, you know, at what T. Higgins did last year, well, he had like 14% of his catches in the fourth quarter because they were winning by so much. I want to say it was 14. I'd have to go back and look at look at the data. But, you know, when it's so low, that means something, right? And and that's going to influence your your analytics, because they're still going to end up throwing in the fourth quarter with the backups. And so it's going to, your yards per team pass attempt are going to go down and your dominator ratings technically going to go down and all these things. But like, if you're, if you're watching the film, it's like, you didn't see him for 10, 10, 15 minutes. It's like, cause he didn't play. Yeah. So it's like, it's like I think that's what's so important about not just watching film, but actually just like dissecting what you see. And I think, and I think that's really the benefit um, that that some Debbie people have, right? Because we're we're in this the whole season, um, and we're watching these people week to week. So we know that, you know, like let's say randomly, if a few cornerbacks were out for Auburn, right, and Kadarius Tony just and Kyle Pitts lit it up. Well, it's like, well, it looks like they were facing a true SEC defense, but these are guys that didn't really play and aren't going to make the NFL. Um, so if, if you're reliant on that, well, then that makes sense that they beat them up. Right. And so that's when I think like, especially film and the context of film, I think means so much because that can actually tell you if a game is an outlier or if that's actually the normal, you know, based on something else that's happened, it could be on the defensive side of the ball, or it could be, you know, if I'm looking at a quarterback and all of their offensive linemen were hurt that game and they had a poor game, it's like, well, they were pressured all game. It's like, oh, he didn't handle pressure well. It's like, well, he wasn't used to that, right? And so it's like adding all that up to get a clear image of what a player actually does and does well and does poorly, 
I'm, I think is really, really important. You can't just pick a game or two each season to try to dissect that. I think it takes a larger sample size. Sorry, I lost you there for, or I think my internet's all jacked up, but I heard almost all of that. And uh, I do really like how you talk about how it's like, it's more nuanced than anybody wants it to be in a way, you know, a lot right. of people want it to be more cut and dry and this and that. And I think we could look at analytics as decreasing the misses, but then I, I also think, and I, it's something that I need to work on related to film and watching more film and spending time with film is like, that is helpful as well. And it, it's honestly, it can go to all sorts of parts of life where people, you know, talk about, different things they don't realize the nuance of things and i even think that that goes back to what we were talking about before like reading a lot of books and things like that so i know i'm getting philosophical on us on a fantasy football podcast but i I do like how how it is it is nuanced and it is important to watch so are there any specific characteristics that you look for with players coming out of college and that could be you could talk about really to position by position or just in general or whatever you think yeah, so let's just dive into it and we'll dive into the most important position on the field. Obviously, that's quarterback. Some of the things I look for instantly, right, is is just right away is how comfortable is the quarterback in the pocket, right? I think that that means a ton. I don't think you're going to find a player that's as comfortable in the pocket as Trey Lance in this class. Like you see him and he literally stops moving in the pocket. Like that's how little he was pressured. Um, so I think, I think things like that matter. Like if you're just comfortable back there, do you end up getting happy feet as soon as you feel pressure, you know, is your throwing motion the same every time, or is it a Philip Rivers, Matthew Stafford thing that kind of just changes depending on where you need to throw it? I think that matters. Um, you know, it's similar to, you know, when we were talking about Russell Wilson coming into the draft, when Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield were coming into the draft, right? Those quarterbacks that are like six feet and shorter, like, will they be able to, you know, kind of throw that sidearm throw like they would in baseball, right? With somebody's in their face to get the ball away. And well, it's, that's not just a height thing. That's just a comfortability in the pocket, right? And And just understanding those different situations. So I think that's one thing that I like to look at. The other is with quarterbacks is really where are they throwing on the field? Um, you know, it's, it's cool, right? If, if a player might have the most accurate, he might be the most accurate quarterback and he's just putting up crazy completion percentages, right? Like 70% completion percentage. Like that's great. But like, what throws are they? Um, is it like you're throwing screens to Kadarius Tony? at Florida, right, who should actually be playing right now. Not Kadarius Tony, but um, Kyle Trask should be playing right now against Oklahoma as we record this. Um, you know, it, it's questions like that, that that I really like to look at, um, that that other people might not do it. But it's like, you know, if they're throwing, you know, outside the numbers, like how far down the field are they actually throwing outside the numbers? Is it just a five-yard break outside and we're just doing a quick out route? Um, or are we actually you know, going over the middle and going like 14, 15 yards over the middle. Are we doing deep dig routes? Are, you know, is this quarterback repeatedly throwing it deep down the field? And is he just doing it, you know, to the middle of the field where the wide receiver can just kind of go wherever he wants? Or is he actually having pinpoint accuracy to, you know, if they're clearly on the left side running a go route or if they're on the right side, what have you. And I think that's important too with quarterbacks. Um, So those are just a few things that I look at. Um, with, with running backs, the first thing I want to see is like, I just want to feel that you're special, right? And th- the question is like, what does that actually mean? And I think, 
obviously that means something for different people, right? But when you just watch the film of a running back and you just like get like this over overwhelming feeling of like this dude just is really good. Like, like he's just special on a football field. And a lot of that comes down to things that are really important for me is contact balance, right? Like one of the best people when it comes to contact balance is Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, you can't arm tackle him. That, that means nothing, right? Um, because his balance is so good and his center of gravity stays so low. He's not an up and down runner, right? When we see people like AJ Dillon that are taller, right? These Nashi Harris guys that are taller, they have to get down low, um, regardless of how big they are because of that center of gravity. So Alvin Kamara is one that does, does that really, really well. Um, a few other things I look for is, is what kind of runner is he, right? Is, is he one that actually succeeds in a power system where he kind of gets to choose where he's going to run? Or is he just a one cut runner where he puts his foot in the ground and goes right? Like a Travis Etienne type, right? Where you can clearly see him in his own run scheme that he'll put his foot on the ground and go. Um, the next thing I look for is like, what is he doing at the second level? Right. Like vision obviously takes vision at the first level is probably the easiest. Right. You just find the gap in the line and and go through it, um, especially in college. And then but I want to see what you're doing at the second and third level. Like, do you have the vision to see, you know, that weak side backer that that's coming back inside, you know, after you just, you know, hit him with an inside step and then ended up going through the A-hole instead of the you know, B or C hole and that outside backers coming back in, like, what are you going to do to make him miss? Right. And how are you setting up the safeties then? Cause it takes multiple levels. And obviously like we, we hear this all the time, right? Oh, this, this running back might not have played that well. If you take away his run of 70 yards, he only had like a yards per carry of like 3.5. Cool. But I want the running back that can do that 75 yard run. Right. And that's what yeah. that's what it means to be setting up at the second level and to be setting up the guys on the third level, um, because in the NFL, those windows are even shorter. And that matters. Right. That's what it means to be special, um, to really be able to do all of those really, really well. And so that's that's what I look for. I think, you know, when it comes to wide receivers, tight ends, I'm probably the outlier. I love route running um, and route running, I think, is. Is is slowly become like this catch all term for people. And it's like, oh, he's a good route runner. It's like, okay, but what does that mean? Right. Let's, let's break that down. When we talk about Devonta Smith being a good route runner or Rashad Bateman being a good route runner, what does that actually mean? Right. Um, so first it starts with release, getting off line of scrimmage. Those are two guys, Devonta Smith and Rashad Bateman, that do that really, really well. Um, and, and they can win a variety of different ways, right? They can win with their feet at the line of scrimmage. They can win with their hands at the line of scrimmage and, and start to move down their route Next is, you know, how are they setting up the cornerback? Are they getting the cornerback to kind of twist around a little bit, kind of think a little bit? Are they sinking their hips when they're going inside or outside? Do they use their head to kind of move around the, the cornerback or maybe that, that safety that's coming in on bracket coverage? Or maybe we're playing um, man cover two where we have that safety that's just kind of hiding back, waiting for you to kind of burn that, right, burn that cornerback. And he's just going to be that deep protection, right? And it's how are you setting all this up? And then bam, as soon as we see it, then we're cutting inside, cutting outside and actually making a making a move so the quarterback can throw you the ball. And I think all of that kind of added together means something, right? It's, then it's winning at the catch point, which has now also become part of route running, right? Because he got the separation to be able to do that. And when you're when you're making that at the catch point is like, are you catching with your hands close to your body or your elbows extended? right? Are you catching with your hands away from your body? Is it coming into your body? How is that affecting you? Are you winning when, 
you know, when the, when the defender is close to you, all of that kind of is now at this point of like route running. Right. But like all of those are so such nuanced things, right. You can, we can talk about uh, Seth Williams, who I don't think is the greatest route runner in the class, um, but he's able to use his size in a way that, that makes him look like an okay route runner because he uses his size. Right. And, you know, when we're talking about guys that are going deep down the field, like our Devonta Smith, like our Tamarian Terry, like our Seth Williams, like, are they stacking the cornerback? Right. So that means, are they getting directly in front? So the running or the, excuse me, the uh, cornerback is running right behind them. Right. So if it's a perfectly placed ball and you can just keep running, that means that the cornerback is going to have to go through you to make, make an incompletion. Right. And that means you're either getting a penalty or you're either getting the catch for the most part. Right. And, and those are all the things that, that really, really matter. And it's important to see, you know, who wins in different ways. Right. And that's when route running is like, Oh, he just creates separation. Well, separation is only part of route running. Um, so it's, it's adding all that together. And that's why we see guys like, right. Future hall of Famer. I don't know if he's in the hall of fame yet, but Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, right. He was probably one of the best route runners that we've seen because he uses his feet so well and he can set people up. Um, and, and so that's kind of what we're looking at when, when we look at these pieces of film and, you know, we watch the same play probably three or four times, right? Cause we want to see him get off the line. We want to see if where he's breaking and how he's breaking. Um, and if he's setting anyone up before the break, and then we're finally getting that, that catch point. So all of that is kind of, you know, thrown into route running. Um, but it shouldn't be just route running, but that's kind of like the misnomer. And, and so that's, that's kind of what I think is some of the most important things. Obviously, uh, we can talk about the most important thing is just catching. Like, can they catch an open ball? Can Jerry Judy catch a ball when he's wide open? Uh, right. And sure. Like that, obviously we can talk about that, but like, you can say that with anyone, right? Like, can the running back hit the hole when he sees it? Can a quarterback throw to an open receiver? Like, we're, we're, we try to like really get into the nuanced approach so we can understand how other people are seeing the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. And I think that's, I mean, again, another great way to look at it. And I want to sort of change direction slightly. And I, I saw you post on Twitter and you were talking about like, how much higher can Kyle Pitts go? And you said, if the hype continues, he's going to be top five in all formats. And this isn't really a question so much about where you think Kyle Pitts should be drafted in like more normal leagues. We can talk about that. But my question is actually related to where would you take Pitts in like a start to tight end format, like 12 teams start to tight end. So that actually matters for me if it's tight end premium or not. If it's not tight end premium, I'm not taking him in the first round. What about start two tight end where you have to have two tight ends in your starting roster? Does that bump them up to like the 1.03, 1.04? Or are you still like 1.07 to 1.10? So even if it's two tight end, so it matters if it's two tight end, tight end premium, or just two tight end. I mean, if, if it's just okay. two, if it's just two tip tight end, I'm not taking them in the first round, right? Okay. Because they're not getting any additional bonus. It's it's just that you need that position. Um, so I'm going to let other people, you know, take the tight ends, and I'm going to take the rest of rest of the people that are actually going to outscore tight ends, right? More often than not. Uh, but if we're talking tight end premium, right, where you're talking like two points per catch or an extra half a point per catch or 1.75 whatever um then then yeah people are probably going to draft him higher and i think th this goes to the conversation that i had on twitter um with with mike from from big big dogs gonna eat and um you know scott connor from the dynasty and chill podcast and and scott was talking about how right that the math says 
in a tight end premium start two tight end league that you should take him like top three or top four. And right. Sure. If, if the math says that the only issue with that is that the value never catches up to where the math is. Yeah. And and so that I think is the most important part that people miss, right? You, you can have a great idea, right? But when you're all of a sudden looking to see how much these people are actually worth on the market um, and we are just in the value getting season, right? Um, we're just in, in the part where we're just trying to accrue as much value as possible. Um, so when we're just doing that, it's, he's not going to live up to where that, that math says to take him. Right. And you might have a few people that are with the math, but you know, you're trading with 11, 13 other people. Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm by the end of this, I'm going to be known as like the Kyle Pitts hater. <laughs> you will and, be. <laughs> and it's, it's not that I hate Kyle Pitts, right? I yeah. hate what the value of tight ends is. Yeah. Right. I agree. And, and, more than running backs, more than wide receivers, right? When we talk about running backs and wide receivers, people are like, oh, the cream always rises to the top. The best player always gets in. And yeah, that's true. Um, but for tight ends, that that's not always the case, right? Especially yeah. when we're talking about Kyle Pitts and if he's going to a team that wants to use him as a traditional tight end, well, that sucks because he's not a good blocker, right? So using him in that in that way isn't the right way to do it. So like if he ends up going to a team that is going to use him that way and, and you're drafting him so high that you're valuing him as the next Travis Kelsey, right? Who took multiple years to actually break out and is on a team that wants to give him a 25% target share. That's great. And that's great for Travis Kelsey's fantasy value, right? But how many teams actually give their tight end a 25% target share? Three? Yeah. Four, like maybe? Raiders, Chiefs. Uh, 49ers in a typical year in, in Baltimore. In, yeah. Yeah. That's probably it. Yeah. About four. So, so not only are you like hoping that a team changes their play calling, right. But now you want him to not only be used in the right way, but you want them to change their play calling all of a sudden to be able to utilize this person. Right. So that's where I think the value just doesn't line up. Um, even in regular tight end premium league start one, I'm not taking Kyle Pitts until the 112. Okay. Because the value just isn't there, right? And and we can see what's more important, right? Like, sure, if you can guarantee if people would able to be able to guarantee me that he'd be the next Travis Kelsey and doing exactly what Travis Kelsey is going to do just at a younger age, then I'd want a draftment like the 103, the 104, right? Yeah. But we can't make those guarantees especially at a, at a position that historically takes longer to hit. And I think that's the biggest factor for me is like, it does take longer to hit typically. It's at least a year to two years. And a lot of people forget that. And I've, uh, you know, some people think that he's going to hit right away, but like you said, we, we don't know that. And uh, I was trying to look real quick at where uh, Evan Ingram in his rookie season, where he ranked among tight ends and he was the, yeah, tight end four in PPR leagues. And so he hit, and then he's been tight in 13, 18, 15. So even if you get that hit early, it's still not the end all be all. And so, I mean, I it's tough though, because you know, you wanna you wanna value those guys more because you expect them to hit, and like some of them do, some of them don't. And it's that tough balance with dynasty that makes it really tough. But right. And then we go into what's that context of Evan Ingram's rookie year, right? Like he was the only receiver. Yeah. All right. That matters. Sure. And and the more that we want to like ignore that context, um, the less it's actually going to do to help our fantasy football team. 
That's yeah, that's a great point. And that's where like, I think uh, I, I'm trying to look into some super flex rookie hit rates. And with that, like, it's really tough to distinguish, like, is this even valuable? And so I'm trying to actually look at like using ADP and seeing how that changes, you know, for rookies. And I think that could potentially be more valuable because it shows like the value aspect, like you mentioned. And so right. we could see tight ends like a TJ Hawkinson value plummeted after year one relative. It, it wasn't super low, but it dropped probably four or five tight end spots. And then right. it comes right back up now because he's had a good season. And we'll probably see, um, you know, Smith Jr. After his first season, you know, it plummeted and then now it's coming back up again. So Tight end is definitely very volatile, and it, I thought it was going to be the year of the tight end this year, and it was the furthest thing from it. We've had Kelsey, Waller, and maybe Hawkinson, if you want to include him. He's been consistent, I'd say, but not, like, crazy good. So, yeah, it's like it. Right, and and that's when I think, you know, other people are going to bring up the just the positional difference that having, a like, a top tight end is. Like, sure, you know, you're getting four points more a week, right? But but look at the positional difference between an alpha running back and you know the running back, a running back two. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's more than those points, right? And that's uh, if we sure. ignore the Travis Kelsey, like he's scoring four or five PPR points more than excuse me, more than Darren Waller, right? Like Darren Waller still had a terrific season. Um, but but that doesn't mean that all of that's going to hit all the time, right? Um, so I, I'm just more hesitant with tight ends. Um, you know, if, if we're looking at what, let's say that you're at the, in a super flex league, that you're at like the 110, right? And you have all your picks. You have the 210, the 310, blah, 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 right? Um, would you rather take Kyle Pitts and like I don't know, Amon Ross St. Brown, or would you rather have um like Devonta Smith and Brevin Jordan? Yeah. Like for me, it's it's easily I'd take Brevin Jordan and Amon Ross St. or and and uh, Devonta Smith, right? You we have we have the guy that could become a top receiver, which means more than than anything else, and then and then a tight end that could be a top twelve tight end, right? Versus a guy that could be a top five tight end and the wide receiver 35, right? So like that, that's where I think it kind of changes things, right? And and it's wonderful if you want to, uh, if you really think like I'm going tight end, that's my plan. Sure, but you should never use your rookie draft um, to take positions of need. You should only go best player available and you can trade for need. Uh, because you're going to pigeonhole yourself to taking Keyshawn Vaughn at the 201. You just open up a lot of sore wounds for people right there. But yeah, I agree. Don't ever, ever, ever draft for need. That That's going to screw you more often than not. So in your, your Twitter profile, you said, quote, you like food. So mm-hmm. what is your favorite meal? Or we could even just say food in general, if you can just choose one. Potato chips. Oh, yeah. Is I it- love potato chips. The crunch, the saltiness, all of that combined into one it's awesome package. Man. It's everything. I think part of it is like, um, so this goes back to like when I'm when you talk about Halloween candy, right? And and everyone loves talking about Halloween candy and what candies are actually the best on Halloween. But what you forget is is one of the most important pieces of Halloween, right? Is how quickly you can eat that candy. 
right? Like if if we go back to when we're six, seven, and like you you're just getting the candy and like you're just coming home and you have to try to eat as much as you can before your parents take away your candy bag for the night. Like that's that's my mindset, right? So like, how many <laughs> calories can I get in my body? And potato chips are like, you know, <laughs> they're salty, so they have calories there. They're high in fat. You know, all this, like, and and they're crunchy and you can just fill your mouth like as quick as possible. And like, that's what potato chips do. Like, and they just taste really, really good. Um, They do. So like, that's, that's my thing. If I'm talking about like an actual meal, um, you know, then it gets a little more tough. Like I, I, it's, it's hard to see like how mashed potatoes and mac and cheese can ever be beat. Like just those two foods, like they're absolutely terrific. You know, even the worst mashed potatoes, better than the best vegetable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like mashed potatoes are still better than like the best corn you can find. Like, because yeah. I'm eating potatoes, right? Like, and that's what matters. I, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to find a way to disagree with you once this podcast, but no, I, I agree. I love potatoes of any type, sweet potatoes, regular potatoes, potato chips, and definitely agree that. I'm trying to even think of a veggie that I would say over it, but not really. No, not at all. I don't, I don't so, have any. No. I, judging by my frame, I'm not much of a vegetable eater. So, um, <laughs> you know, I think potato chips, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, also a banger. Yeah. Sweet. So going now into this specific 2021 rookie class outlook, and this is more talking super flex leagues, which changes it up a little bit with uh, how deep this quarterback class is looking to be. Obviously, well, actually, well, I'll let you talk with this, but how, where do you see a very large tier break in Superflex rookie drafts and with how you expect the class to turn out? And I'd say last year, I'm trying to think of the exact numbers, probably like 1.06, 1.07 was that very like, this is a tier break. Like, okay, the players after this are tier two players. Like it was the, you had your Tua, Burrow, um, you had your three to four running backs, two to three wide receivers. And so it was about 1.07 ish. Where do you see this class being? Uh, after 104. You see a pretty large tier break. So that would be who are those that's four my, players? That's my first tier, right? So you have gotcha. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, Najee Harris, and um, Travis Etienne. So those are the four players. Obviously, I have Etienne over Harris, but but just for right now, those are the four players. I think the next tier is just two quarterbacks. Right, so you're Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, especially in super flex leagues, and then after that, that 107 through like 202, like is basically the same tier, right? Gotcha. With with Jamar Chase kind of being the the leading guy in that tier, that's like cl- he's he's depending on landing spot, right? I I think he's going to end up being like a top eight pick, so he could easily like with that draft capital be into like the other two quarterbacks, but I think he would end up. So he's basically pick seven for me regardless. So you see like a, a 1.06, like tier, like obviously into your tier two teardrop. And then there's, that would be seven to eight people that end up being in that tier three. That's that right. larger, larger tiers. So that'd be, that'd be, if you have the 1.08 or 1.09, you'd probably recommend to trade that back, get a couple seconds if you can type of idea. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, if I can move from the 108 to like the 112 and just pick who's ever left and pick up a mid-second, that's what I would do, right? And just get another dart throw um, because I think all those guys are going to be really, really similar. Gotcha. Sweet. Do you see like a 
it's it's tough because we don't know how deep this class is going to be yet, uh, like 100% certain. So do you see like, I feel like last year is around the 2.08-ish was whenever there was like a lot of players you're like, eh, about. Does it go into the third round for you this year? Is it still like mid to late second round where that like a lot of those players start dropping off and you're just like, it's, it's literally just dart throws. You're not super excited about them. No, it's like deep into the third at this point. Like okay. the right, and and the the bit most important thing, right, is is that we have to note that that seniors, even though it says they're a senior, they get an extra year of eligibility if they want to. Um, due to COVID, they get that extra year. So you know, we could be looking at right, um, who's who's a senior like Marquez Stevenson, right, a senior for Houston. Um, he's probably going to be a third round rookie pick. Um, he could choose to go back because he's a senior and he gets that extra COVID year. So um, that that's, I think, worth noting. Right. And we, we start to get all hyped up and then we see some guys kind of go back to school. Right. We see Travis Etienne, Najee Harris go back to school, Chuba Hubbard go back to school. And all of a sudden um, we're left with less running backs. And, and um that's kind of, I think, where we're going to be at with some of these wide receivers, that some are going to choose to go back because they're going to get um, their draft grades from from the uh, NFL Developmental Committee, and they're going to be like, oh, you're not really like a day one or day two guy or day three pick. And they're like, well, I'm going to go back to school then um, because NFL, the NFL track record has shown is like they don't care how old someone is when they draft. F- Fantasy Twitter does, <laughs> yeah, right? does. But, but the NFL <laughs> doesn't. Um, they don't care if you're a fourth or fifth year senior, that means absolutely nothing to them, right? Like Kyle Trask still has a great chance to be, you know, um, an end of the first round pick, early second round pick in the NFL draft, regardless of him redshirting and him being a senior. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point right there too. And definitely everybody be tuning in around it's what's do you remember the actual date, February, like beginning of February, right? Where they have to declare. Um, that I'm not sure. Okay, because I, I'm pretty sure it's it's around February, so just be on the lookout. People will be talking about it, and some people have some lists and such. So uh, just be on the lookout for that because that's really going to help distinguish how deep this class is. Because I remember like last year, you know, people were like, "Oh, like if Etn comes out and, and uh, Chuba Hubbard comes out as well, like this class is super super deep." And then every year there's those couple of people that just don't. So. So don't get discouraged. It doesn't mean don't get those second round picks. It just means those. It's it's uh, January seventeenth is under oh, declaration date. That's way sooner than I thought. Middle of January, everybody. We're a couple weeks away. That's exciting. <laughs> we'll know before any time. So uh, now stepping away from fantasy football, you mentioned you like to read. I what do. is the favorite book that you have read? Um, so my favorite book is The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's a good one. Um, I've probably read it about 15 times, something like that. Um, I just really, really like that book. Um, if if I'm talking like not like an academic book that I would teach in an English class, um, I really, you know, obviously I love Harry Potter, um, but I feel like that's that's just an easy one. Um, if If it's like historical fiction, the Culper Ring series by Brad Meltzer, I think is really, really good. Um, So obviously I love history. So you're going to get a little bit of a history lesson here. So um, the Culper ring is, I don't know if you are hip on your revolutionary war um, 
history. So I just listened to like a whole podcast series about it. So I should be relatively up to date. Love it. So yeah, the for the listeners that don't know, right, that the Culpering series was basically a set of spies that um, put out a bunch of notifications for other generals, U.S. generals, to know where the British were. And they did it in a set of, in a series of codes. Um, it could be on like, you know, clotheslines. It could be, you know, on a house. Like all these things is where they could be, you know, hiding um, these these secret messages. And the idea of of this book is what if the culpa ring continued, right? And And not to necessarily protect the president, but to protect the presidency, right? Because the goal of the culpa ring was to win the war and to help George Washington win the war, right? So obviously George Washington becoming the first president, the idea of like what happens if if that continued just to protect the presidency. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a three book series of like basically like this crazy stuff of like what if this continued and and how would that affect um, today's world? And it's crazy. It's um, one of those books that really, really tough to put down as soon as you start. Um, I, I finally got my brother to read it and he was like starting the third book and he goes, well, I'm just going to read like a little bit of it. Right. So <laughs> I don't feel so bad about like where the second book left. Right. Cause you know, trilogies, right. They have like this huge cliffhanger and then you want to pick up the next book and he starts reading it. Right. And he goes, I'm just going to read like 15, 20 pages just so I know. Right. So this next cliffhanger is, 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 is solved. And uh, he looks down and he had been reading for like three hours and he's like a hundred pages in and he goes, well, I didn't, I didn't think that this was going to happen. Right. And so like, those are the books that I love that are just so hard to put down and, and ones that, that, that just grab your attention in such a way that like, regardless of if you're like a history buff like me or person that just loves to read or, you know, any of those things that like just grabs your attention because there's so many things going on. Um, and the action is, is so great. So that's that's a trilogy that uh, I'm probably going to have to read again because I tell everyone to read it. Um, and because and I just love it. I think it it's one of those that you turn the pages so quickly you're trying to get a paper cut. Like that's that's how good the story is. Awesome. I'm going to have to add that to my list because I need some uh, more fiction. So I've been reading a lot more like, you know, personal development books, this and that. But I think it's also good to, you know, read those fiction books that – uh, they, they get you thinking and, and honestly it helps like, you know, build that picture in your brain as you're reading. That's the fun right. part. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And then, you know, I always read like John Grisham books because I think they're just wonderful. Nice. So last question for you, and I don't know how easy this is going to be for you to answer, but is there one player in particular that you're going to think is going to be under the radar going into the May rookie drafts? Um, do you want a specific position? Um, any, do you want one any position? Um, let's just do one player, any position, your choice. Um, Going to make it hard on you. Elijah Mitchell, running back from Louisiana Lafayette, the Ragin' Cajuns. Um, this is a guy that I've been on for two years. Um Helped me win my my college fantasy football two years ago. Um, I like him. I think he's going to the Senior Bowl and he's going to like tear up the Senior Bowl. Um, that some people are going to be like, "Oh, where was this kid?" And then they're going to go back and watch the tape and they're going to see what he did against Iowa State the first game of the season when Iowa State was ranked like 18th and they ended up um, beating him by 10 points. 
Um, and they're going to watch that game and like, oh, that's this guy. Like, he's good. Um, but some of those guys right from the, from the smaller conferences are just going to get outshined a little bit, especially when it comes to draft day. So I think he's going to be an uh, early day three pick. And he's probably my guy of like, you know, someone that, that is going to be under the radar. Um, I think one of the guys that's going that's under the radar right now that won't be by draft day is Javian Hawkins, the running back from Louisville. Um, dude is fast and he's only, he's shorter guy. Um, he's like 190, 200 pounds right now. And some people, some people are going to say that he's a little small, um, but he can do everything right. And people are going to say, Oh, well, he didn't catch the ball in college. It's like, well, he wasn't asked to, um, in 2019, Louisville threw the ball nine times to their running back for the entire season, right? So you, we're talking like a less than 1% target share or like a 1% target share, right? So like it's it's not being thrown there very often. I'm also bad at mental math. So who knows what that actual percentage is? You, you can tweet <laughs> at me later. Uh, but but right, like it's, it's not thrown to him. So like you can't hold him accountable for, for that. So um, it's the same with Jonathan Taylor, right? Obviously, I'm not comparing the two guys, but the idea of like Jonathan Taylor, well, he couldn't catch. It's like, no, he just wasn't asked to. Yeah. Like there's a difference. Um, so I think Javian Hawkins is going to rise up boards and he's going to end up being a day two pick and surprise just a ton of people. Nice. Yeah. Two, two great people to be on the watch for. And uh, obviously draft capital can change everything. We've seen that happen before. But also, like you said, if Elijah Mitchell is a, a day three pick, then He's someone that people can get probably in their their third rounds pretty pretty easily, especially in a super flex league. So, yeah, I like that. So, I to blast tonight, Kane. Do you have any projects you want people to check out? Or I know you have your two podcasts that you have going on. Anything you want the people to check out? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the podcast Devi Marketplace. I think it's it's great for people that are really into Devi, and it's great for people that like aren't into Devi as much because we're talking like some dynasty content. We're talking like just NFL mock drafts, having people that are just draft guys hop on and talk about some of their, their experiences. Um, so we're really trying to get like just a well-rounded game. Um, and it's all about values. Cause I think values are the most important thing. Um, so we're doing that. And then we have a patron chat, uh, which is patreoncom slash Debbie marketplace where you get like, if you're into Debbie, like that's the place to be. Like we just a video or a, an, a podcast just posted today on the Patreon chat where we're looking at the 2021 recruits. So this is like the class of 2024, or the first time they're eligible. So like we're diving into all these guys just coming into college now. Um, so it's it's certainly if you're into college football, that's a great place to be because we're always talking about college football over there. It never stops. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, if you're in if you're in Debbie, yeah, get get over to Debbie Marketplace, check out the Patreon and. Also, make sure to follow Kane on Twitter at Debbie underscore Kane. Uh, great to see everything he talks about. And, you know, he, like I mentioned before, asked questions like about, you know, like Kyle Pitts. Are we getting a little bit too crazy? Then you can see the conversations that happen underneath those. So also, if you're a new listener, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the Snake in the Drop podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope everybody won some championships this last week. And I hope you're not doing a week 17 uh game for the championship if you are get that change well i guess technically next year's 18 weeks now so maybe don't i don't know i don't know how i feel about that i'll think about that later but anyways let's have a great off season and see y'all later <laughs>